This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. There's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, we're going to be giving you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And, and, we're going to do a recap of this week's Tag Team Tough Man Challenge. Now, let's start off with uh, tip number one. It's something I am experimenting with. I did, for the first time, I did the Prowler, yes, the infamous Prowler, with my Zero Shoes with my uh, wide toe box, minimalist shoes. And uh, I was very worried that it was going to break my feet because that was originally how I think I hurt my feet was by pushing a prowler in sneakers and my feet had crumbled into the ground. And that was one of the ways in which I thought I broke my feet. So I was worried it was going to happen again. But let me tell you this. It felt more therapeutic than when you put your foot on a lacrosse ball or when I stand on a, a rock mat. It actually felt therapeutic because as I'm driving into the ground with my foot and there's nothing else, there's no cleat, there's basically no shoe, and now it was like the ultimate combination of strengthening and mobilization of my toes and feet by uh, getting them into the ground against that load, especially on a scorched earth day. Now, I'm not telling anybody to go get zero shoes and day one, go do the prowler. I had a very steady progression. I had walking, I had a little jogging, I had linear running, I had cutting, and now, yes, we got to the point where at least on the high handle of the prowler, I was able to use my zero shoes. So awesome stuff. Great thing I'm experimenting with. At some point, I'm going to try the low handles. I don't think my feet are ready for it yet, but we're getting there. Okay, tip number two. This is a quote that I have been thinking about. If someone is not listening to you, stop talking to them. I'm going to say that again. If someone is not listening to you, stop talking to them. Now, you might say, this is completely and totally obvious, but is it? Is it? And I'm not talking about that you're in a fight with your girlfriend or, or somebody, uh, your wife, whoever it is, and you're, you're arguing and she's not listening and you just walk out of the room. Now, I'm talking about you are trying, you're an evangelist of your cause. You're trying to preach for your thing. Maybe you're trying to preach about your type of workout program. Maybe you're like me, someone trying to preach about the benefits of going forward on fourth down or data analytics. I don't know. Whatever it is, pick your thing. If you are trying to educate somebody, but they're not getting it, they just stop. And the, the, the beauty behind this quote is, is that you are devaluing what you're saying by trying to continue to preach that message for someone who's not there. And I'm going to link this quote back to another quote that we used a, a while ago is, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I'll say that quote again. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I've found, even though I believe myself to be a, a pretty good communicator, a pretty good educator, throw a little bit of entertainment in, in to make it more interesting, is that you're really not going to turn the mind of someone who is 
in the polar opposite viewpoint of what you're trying to change them to do. You need them to experience it on their own. You need them to be ready, and then they can trip over the truth themselves. So, again, if someone is not listening to you, stop talking to them because you are devaluing what you are trying to say. Okay, tip number three, something that I am watching that moved me. I am watching Better Call Saul. Yes, I am years behind, but I finally got up to season five. If you have not watched Better Call Saul yet and you're interested in it, uh, just kind of shut the volume off for the next 30 seconds. But in season five, he's stranded in the desert. He has $7 million in cash in two bags. The bags are equivalent to the sandbags that we are carrying around, and he has to carry these sandbags, these those bags of money out of the desert. And uh, boy, does he get laced. If you want to talk about a walk of pain, here it is. Because I don't know how much $7 million in cash, how heavy that feels like, but I'm sure it's heavy. And he's in the, the sweltering heat during the day and then the freezing cold at, not, cold at night while he's walking through the desert. So uh, maybe we do that. Maybe one of our rich uh, members of advanced training can get $7 million in cash for us and we can do a walk of pain with that. But I thought it was pretty sick as part of Better Call, call Saul. Okay, tip number four. Tip number four, this is a productivity tip. And uh, this is a way to make you better at anything you're trying to learn or do. So it's called non-sleep deep rest. And this was a, something we talked about after our training program yesterday. So I've realized in my life that the greatest, I'll say, uh, thoughts that I've had, the greatest creative ideas that I've had, the greatest moves that I've been able to make was when I was, let's just say I was on vacation. I would bring a book with me. I would read it at the pool. I'd read for about, I don't know, 40 minutes. And then I would take like a 20 minute. I thought it would be a nap. Just close my eyes, take a nap. I'd wake up with a great idea and then go back and do it again. And what's happening is, is that while you're in this non-sleep deep rest, so you're not sleeping, but you're in a deep rest, you can call it a form of meditation, is that your brain is connecting the dots of everything that you are trying to learn. It's also why when you when you're like with doing adult learning or if you're having something you can't think you can't solve the problem to you say sleep on it right so while you're sleeping at night your brain is connecting these dots and it's actually making you smarter maybe you did some studying that day well now it's connecting the dots of what you thought about or maybe even two days ago or it is helping your body make the mind muscle connection of some physical activity that you were trying to do it's why when you're training a guy in the gym or on the field and he's not getting it that day and then he shows up two days later and he's boom he's got Got it, right? It wasn't some miracle. It's that now the mind and the muscle and your bones have all started to connect to connect the dots together to be able to help you do what you wanted to do or learn. So a little cheat code to this, right, in addition to sleep, is this non-sleep deep rest. So if you're in a period of learning, maybe you went to a, a seminar, maybe you're just reading a book, I don't know, maybe taking an online class, take a break and just do some deep breathing close your eyes, do some deep breathing, and rest, and let those dots connect. Now, a mini, mini cheat to this, and it's probably not long enough, is that we do this after every single workout. After every single workout, we close our eyes, we breathe, we begin that process of non-sleep deep rest. It's not 20 minutes, but it's better than nothing. Okay, tip number five. This is an exercise tip, and uh, I'm going to start with the tip, and then I'll get into the why. The tip is, if you want to get strong, do the same type of lift a lot. So for example, if you want to be strong at the barbell bench press, then you need to make the barbell bench press a staple of your program. But if you want to get big, then you need to continually change up how you are performing the bench press. Maybe it's barbell. Maybe it's dumbbell. Maybe it's uh, 
incline. Maybe it's decline. I don't care. But just keep switching up the way in which you are doing that barbell bench press. Now, the reason this came up is that after our training session, Joe Sarno and Joe Derrida were telling me that I should buy this multi-purpose barbell. And I, I love them. I've seen them. I've kind of we had one in our uh, powerhouse gym that I did use. But for the, for the time being, I am singularly focused on getting strong. So I am singularly focused on doing one arm dumbbell bench press. Now I've flipped it up every three months between flat and incline, flat and incline, so I don't get stale. But I have not gone to barbell. Uh, I haven't done any specialty bars. I've just stuck with. What, with the one-arm dumbbell bench press because I am singularly focused at getting strong in that activity. Now, there's a couple of reasons for it. One is uh, I've been working out in my house alone, so I don't have a spotter, and I don't want my wife to find me downstairs dead underneath a barbell if I can't get the weight. And I'm, I'm doing heavy weight now. I'm doing about 90% of my max in my workouts. And two is because of the dumbbell that I'm using, it is a put-it-to-yourself-together. It's like a DIY dumbbell. It's a, it's a little mini barbell that I attach weights to. And it's like a bamboo stick because it's long. And I got clamps that have, you know, if you train with us, you know these things fall off every now and again. I don't want to pick up two of these dumbbells and have 200 pounds of weight slam into my face. I figure with, with one, at least I got a fighting chance that this isn't going to happen. So this is how I am at least justifying my own mind why I'm continuing for the last three years to do one-arm dumbbell bench press. Now, you may say, well, don't you get bored? No, I don't get bored because, again, I'm singularly focused on getting strong in that movement. Having said that, there are ways to counter the boredom. So, one way, and this is the way I do it, is that every three weeks, I will change up my prehab activities. So, if you remember the way I'm training, it is three sets of three, heavy, heavy weight on one-arm dumbbell bench press, and in between that, there is uh, a ballistic movement where I am either like launching off my full floor, myself off the floor from like a, called a push-off, or throwing a med ball into the ceiling, and then it's followed by two prehab activities. So there's three different things that are going on after that heavy, heavy bench press, and I cycle through it. So what do I do every three weeks? I change up that prehab slash, slash explosive stuff. So that's one way for me not to get bored. The second way for me not to get bored is after those three weeks of heavy, heavy one-arm dumbbell bench press, I do a week of a deload period where I don't do any bench press. I will just do Olympic lift movements for one week. And then, if you really wanted to get super into the weeds of this, I don't just do uh, dumbbell bench press the entire 12 months of the year. I am in what's called a triphasic training period where there's a couple of weeks where I do eccentric only training. There's a couple of weeks where I do isometric only training. There's a couple of weeks where I only do uh, concentric only training. So those are ways for me to keep my mind fresh, but at the same time, singularly focus on getting strong. Because that at this age in my life, where I want to be is I want to be strong so I can be fast. This is me. People have other goals, but me, George Mahoney, I want to be strong so I can be fast. So that's my tip. Good conversation. Uh, Joe Sarno, uh, he's he's a professional. He does this for a living. He's extremely, extremely good at what he's doing. So I lo- when he asks questions, I listen because uh, I know he's he's trying to probe me for the right reasons. Okay, tip number six. Tip number six, the craziest thing I saw a week. Andrew Cortese. I don't know what he weighs. Maybe buck 50. I have no idea. Maybe a buck 40. He hit uh he hit the prowler this week. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm pretty sure the prowler hit him. He said he was the nail and not the hammer. He was in the middle of a challenge and Sardo said that his head got snapped back like he was a wide receiver coming over the middle trying to catch a a dig route. So I guess I shouldn't say it's funny. It's funny because Cortese is a great athlete and 
I think he was not expecting the Prowler to be that stuck in the ground and that heavy. And bang! He hit it, but it actually looked like it hit him. Which leads us into this week's Tag Team Challenge. So I'm going to give some uh, foreshadowing. I don't know if it's foreshadowing. I'll give some foreshadowing. The way the head-to-head -head challenge starts off is that the great Youngblood stands up and says, and looks directly at Cortese. It looks him in the eye and says things that I can't even repeat on this PG, maybe PG-13 type podcast. But essentially what he's saying is, I want you and I want revenge for what happened in week four. And you and me, we're going head to head. And this is great because, you know, Youngblood's a, he's the only high school kid we have in the program right now. Uh, and it took a lot for him to say that. And I, he said it out of respect. He wasn't saying it in a bad way toward Cortese because Cortese's undefeated at this point, And Cortese did something to Youngblood early in the year that Youngblood did not forget. So this is the foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the end of this conversation of the Tag Team Tough Man Challenge. So what was the Tag Team Tough Man Challenge? So I, <laughs> I am a huge fan of this challenge. It is called Random Weight Load. And we used to do this in the gym, and it would really irritate people. Now, I made this, this drill up in the gym because I could not take the stupidity of guys in our weight room. You tell them to load 215 on, and they would put, put on 225. You tell them to put 275 on, they got 265. And, you know, you'd think that maybe they were just trying to jack up their weight, but that wasn't always the case. Sometimes they were going under the weight, and sometimes they do it on test day. And on test day, I have very, now, we have very specific workouts during the year, too. We have very, I, I kind of thought it was like the Mona Lisa, the way I mapped out their weights. We'd adjust it over time, and these guys are screwing everything up by putting the wrong weights on, right? So, and then on test day, there's even more of a precise formula to them to get to their one rep max or their three rep max, and these guys are screwing it up. So I put this in as a means to get back at them. All right, you guys are messing with me. I'm going to mess with you. We're going to do a random weight load challenge. Let's see how smart you are. And I do love to have people's minds under pressure when it's both physical and emotional, and there's a stopwatch. So in the weight room, it would be, here's a barbell, load 370 pounds on the bar, go. How fast can you do it? Then the next guy would go. How fast can he do it? Right? It's a random weight load because they don't know what the weight's going to be until they get in the gym. Actually, until they get into the challenge. And we usually send the other guy up the steps so he couldn't see or hear the weight that was being loaded. And these guys hated it. Anyway, fast forward to this weekend. We throw out a random weight load challenge that involves putting weight on a sled. Now, this, this complicates things because when you're in the gym, it's a little easy. I think the whole world should know that if you put a 45 on each side of a traditional barbell, it weighs 135. And you put two 45s on each side, it weighs 225. And you put three 45s on each side, it weighs 315. It's just everybody knows that stuff, right? So it's 135, 225, 315. Everybody knows that combination of numbers. But with a sled, it's not that simple, right? The sled only has one bar. And so I said to the guys, don't even worry about the weight of the sled. There's just one bar, to, one sleeve to put this weight over. I'm going to give you a weight. And you're going to put that weight on this sled. But, oh, there's a catch. Before this starts, there's going to be one of your teammates. When I say go, he is going to have a bucket in front of that sled. And inside that bucket, there are two chains together two chains connected together by a clamp, and then on one end of that long chain, which is about 15 yards, there's another clamp that you need to attach that clamp to the sled. There's a little hook for it to go on. Check that, attach that clamp to the sled, run with that chain, put the chain down so it's straight, then run back, take the bucket you took it out of, and put the bucket at the end of that chain and sit down. Once that person does that, 
Then, and only then, will I tell your team the weight that they have to put on that slit. And then, 25 yards away from the slit, 25 yards away from the slit, I have strategically placed a set of weights. There were two 45s. You might as well write this down so you see if you can do the math with us. There were two 45s. There was a 35-pound plate, a 25-pound plate, a 10-pound plate, a 5-pound plate, and a 2.5-pound plate. I'll say that again. There were two 45s, a 35, a 25, a 10, a 5, and a 2.5. So that was all sitting there. And it was set up the same for each team so that we tried to keep things as consistent as possible. So the, the way it goes... The first guy, we say go, he dumps the chain out of the bucket, he attaches the chain to the sled, he gets the chain as 15 yards as long as possible, he runs away from the sled, lays the chain down, puts the bucket, runs back, grabs the bucket, puts the bucket next to it, he sits down, I look at team number one, which has, uh, I don't know, maybe like four financial advisors, like super smart guys, guys that I've had help me with data analytics, and I say... You have to put on 155 pounds. Now, when they hear that, the guy who's sitting on the sled, he can't move. He just has to sit there. His only job is to sit on that sled. When all the weight gets loaded on properly, 155, then he can do a seated sled pull and pull that sled into his feet. When that's done, the game is over. So the first guy, they have to go one at a time. So the first guy goes, he can go run down and grab any weight he wants and comes bring it and put it back on top of the sled. When he gets back and starts to put his weight on the sled, once he crosses the line, we start on the sideline, then the next guy can run and go get weight. And you'd think, just as you're listening, this is pretty easy, right? Like, this is pretty easy. Let's just do the math, guys. There's two 45s, a 35, a 25, a 10, a 5, and a 2.5. And well, what is the weight to get on this sled that equals 155? Well, I'm going to do the math for you right now. We're going to skip to the punchline. We needed 245s. That's 90 pounds. Then you needed the 35 and a 25. That 35 and a 25, that equals 60 pounds. So 90 plus 60 equals 150. And then you go grab the 5-pound plate. That's 155. Again, you think it's easy. Sitting here listening to this call. Coach, this is, this is a joke. How these guys not get it? I'll tell you how they didn't get it. Because there's pressure. You're tired from a workout. There's pressure to get it done. There are other teams that have to do it. There's multiple people thinking about it. And Billy Blanco said some challenges like this, maybe it's better to have less guys. Guys are starting to think maybe it's better to have less guys because we have less uh, chefs in the, in the kitchen. Right? right? Maybe, that's, maybe that's the issue. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. I don't know. But the first team that goes, that has all these sick financial advisors... They get it done in a horrible 3 minutes and 27 seconds. It was awful. And Joe Sarno looked at me because he wasn't allowed to be in the competition because he's not on a team and said, you're loving this. Yes, I am loving this for a million reasons. Why? Because one, again, I like to push people mentally, physically, emotionally. But two, whenever we have our workouts, for whatever reason, guys hate putting the chain on the sled. They'll load the weight on it and they just won't put the chain on the sled. Like, I'll be... Get, get out of my truck, getting cone set up, and there's the sled with weight, hopefully the right weight, and no chain on the sled. And if there is a chain on the sled, the bucket isn't by the sled. Like, come on, guys. This is what we do. Every week, we're, we're doing basically the same type of stuff. This should be on autopilot right now, how we're going to set this thing up. So you don't want to do that? Fine. We're going to do random weight load, and part of that random weight load is you putting that chain on that sled and putting a bucket right next to it at the end. So the first team, again, 3 minutes, 27 seconds, and uh, they just couldn't do math at all. 
And the other caveat to this was that the weight had to go in order on the sled with the heaviest weight at the bottom and the lightest weight at the top. Now, why is this? Well, this goes back to a random weight low challenge we did with uh, Jimmy Yuski or Jimmy Uske, whatever you want to call him, years ago, where he, it was like dark. It was, we we're training in the morning, and he put the lighter weight under the heavier weight on a prowler, and I couldn't see it. So I, I couldn't see if he had the right weights on the sled. So I need to be able to see this. So for those of you who uh, are interested in the why of a lot of this stuff, there's reasons for everything. There's reasons for the, the rules. There's reasons for the way, why I wanted those weights the way I wanted them. And there's reasons why I set up the weights the way that I did. So Pete Amorosi's group went second. And this is another group of highly intelligent human beings. And I figured they are going to kill it. And they almost did. Except they, for whatever reason got the 25-pound plate before the 35-pound plate, and they had to make one extra trip to go back. That one extra trip put them at 2 minutes and 7 seconds. And that trip is a 25-yard sprint there, a 25-yard sprint back. And then it turns into two extra trips because when you have to redeposit the 25 on the wrong side, now you got to bring the 35-pound plate back, then you got to run back and pick up that 25 again. So they, they killed the first team. They beat them by over a minute, almost a minute and a half. But that one trip back, that one trip back proved fatal. And why? Because the last team that went, and they only had two people. So in my mind, I'm figuring this team is screwed because they got one guy who can pull the chain and sit down in the bucket. The other teams had three or four guys that were able to run back and tag team each other to get the weight. So I'm thinking they're not going to be tired. Right? This is like a one sprint and done. I can go fast. I can sprint as fast as possible. The only thing holding them back would be math. So assuming all things being equal, these people are equally smart, the math will be the same, but the tiredness level will be different running there and back. Well, this team of two, uh, I figured they're screwed because if their math is the same, but now this one guy, this Joe Marichko, was now designated to run there and back. It was like the equivalent of a college football 300-yard shuttle, except he had to keep stopping and adding weights on his sled, and he had to do math. But it turns out that this team, yet again, the junkyard dogs, Joe Marichko, Tommy Youngblood, Jersick, they finished this thing in 1 minute and 52 seconds. And once again, they win. Once again, they win. I, I, think, I don't even know what week we're on anymore. But I'll just say this. I think they've won like 80 to 90% of the competitions. I'll tell you what week we're in. Give me a second. We're in week 13. We are in week 13. I think these guys won 9 of the 13 competitions, maybe 10. The Junkyard Dogs. So they had three guys unable to show up at the workout. I figured they're screwed. They still win. So now we get to they win. Joe Marechko, he goes from the, uh, I think he was the number two seed, now he's the number one seed, right? So a guy couldn't show up who was the, the number one seed, the guy couldn't show up who was the number two seed, they don't show up, they're both junkyard dogs, this is Galli and Baraji, Marechko wins, bang, he, now he's the number one seed. Tommy Jersik, and, well, I'll get to this in a second, so then Tommy Jersik, he, he bumps up a spot, actually he bumps up no spots because he was a few points behind Marechko, anyway, he is now sitting at the number four seed. Cool. So, we're going to go to the head-to-head -head challenge, right? We have the tag teams win. Now the losers of those teams, I'm sorry, the people on the losing team, they get selected by the winning team, two people to go head-to-head -head in a one-on-one -on -one challenge. Except there's not enough people again. There are so many people that have been eliminated. 
and the Junkyard Dogs keep winning, that we've now gotten ourselves into a situation that after the Junkyard Dogs win again and again and again, they don't have anybody left to choose from from this loser's bracket to go head-to-head head with. Now, the only eligible person in, that was there that was a loser was this Cortese. Go back to the foreshadowing. Cortese, at the time, is 4-0. He's sitting at a 5 seed. Jersic and Marechko have the option given rule number 15 of the Advanced Training Constitution, which means we could Coach Mahoney can implement any rule that he wants. I give them the option. Hey, do any one of you guys want to challenge Cortese head-to-head in this competition? And the young Jersic stands up, and we go back to our foreshadowing. He looks Cortese in the eye, says things that I cannot repeat, because there might be children listening to this podcast, and says, I want him head-to-head. Let's go. Sorry for my dog barking in the middle of this podcast. Maybe he's getting all jacked up for what's about to happen. So what is the challenge? So this, he, I want him. So there's not even like an accept or de- decline here. Jersic calls him out. And the reason he calls him out is because in week four, Cortese was on a losing team. He was supposed to go head-to-head with Billy Blanco. And Cortese, the workout was to hold a 140-pound farmer's walk for time. Now, as we've already talked about on previous podcasts, Billy Blanco has an insanely monstrous grip. So why would I want to go head-to-head with him? So Cortese, he had the money in the bank belt that he wanted a previous challenge. So he's about to go, and he says, nope, I'm not going. He looks Tommy in the eye. This is week four. and says, you, you're going in my place. And Tommy, a.k.a. Youngblood, he's already at his Crocs. He's already ready to go home. Now he's got to go against Blanco. He's totally unprepared. And guess what? He loses. He gets his first and only loss of the season on week four. And he said, I have not forgotten about that moment. This is nine weeks later. Think about what's changed in nine weeks in your life, in the world. Nine weeks later, he's like, I want revenge for what happened. But he doesn't even know what the challenge is supposed to be. He doesn't care. I love it. So Tommy, Tommy Youngblood, uh, he's at the risk of getting his second loss and now being kicked out of these head-to-head challenges. So it's, it's sick that he's ready to go. So what is the challenge? The challenge is going to be a 10-yard slider to a 10-yard prowler there and back. And then you go back to your original sliders and go back and slide 10 yards back to where you came from. Now, this is tricky for a couple reasons. One, well, it's tricky for one real reason, is that when you finish your first set of sliders, a lot of guys will get up and kick their slider. They'll just, it'll just be like collateral damage as they run to the prowler. But in this situation, you got to go back to the sliders that you finished on and get back, put your two feet on them and slide back. So you can't, really can't kick them out. So that's like one of the little tricks of this challenge. The second part of this is that we loaded up on that prowler 210 pounds. Now, that's more weight than, I told you, Cortese weighs 150. 60 more pounds than Cortese is. So while Cortese probably and most definitely has him in the sliders, he does not have him in the prowler push. So this is like, it's a very evenly bat- matched matchup because Youngblood is like, uh, I don't know, 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds, 250 pounds. Cortese is like 5'7", 150 pounds. So Cortese goes first, obviously destroys the slider part of it, gets up, hits that prowler, bang! It hits him back. He gets rocked. And he still, uh, you know, it's very impressive that he didn't get rocked, but he didn't stop for a second. The high handles he gets, gets to the low handles, and you could just see it's like kind of pushing a car in a mud pit, and he's just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. He does not stop his feet. He's not getting anywhere, but he doesn't stop his feet. But he eventually gets to that 10-yard mark. He eventually gets there, breaks out, kills the slider. He finishes in 49.8 seconds. Then... Young blood goes, and I'm just I'm curious because he's not gonna he's definitely not gonna have Cortese in the sliders. So he goes, does his sliders pretty well, not as fast as Cortese. Gets up and just he rocks the sled, he rocks that prowler, he rocks it, 
rocks it there, rocks it back, gets back on uh, the sliders. Boom, he finishes in 39 seconds. So now, Youngblood, he gets his redemption. Youngblood, he waited nine weeks for it. He, uh, he said this, he said, Revenge is best served cold. Nah, I made that up. But that is another good quote for you to put in. Revenge is be best served cold. And now he hands Cortese his first loss of the season. So Cortese, he's sitting pretty uh, in the five seed, but now he has his first loss. And, you know, think about this. We're all trying to get... Guys, these guys are all fighting for these playoff spots. They're all fighting for these playoff spots. But now the key thing is because Youngblood won, he has now guaranteed himself a first-round bye. So these junkyard dogs, Youngblood, Baraji, Galli, Marechko, they are guaranteed first-round buys. We don't know who's going to be the one, two, three, or four seed. That's still up for grabs. But that one, two, three, and four spot, those spots are now guaranteed to those four members of the Junkyard Dogs. So week one of the playoffs, they all have a buy. Everyone else is literally fighting for their lives. So guys, you got to win. You got to win, or you're not. There's a real strong chance that you're not going to be in the playoffs. And there's guys right now that are real good, and they're not eligible. If the season ended today, they are not eligible for the playoffs. So, uh, good stuff. One last comment I'll make is that before we did the Prowler push, I asked Joe Marechko if, sorry, Joe Sarno, I said, can you be my moral compass? Is this weight too heavy? And uh, he tested it out and said, I am the wrong person to be asking if this is the right weight. And I said, uh, yeah, you're right. There is, when it comes to Joe Sarno and the Prowler, there, there is no morality associated with it. It's just let them all, let them burn, as the great uh, Tar Mad King said. Let them all burn. All right, people. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Zero Shoes, a company that is perfectly named. Why? Because when you're wearing their shoes, you feel like you're walking around completely and totally barefoot, a.k.a. like you're not wearing any shoes, a.k.a. like you are wearing Zero Shoes. Now, we've all heard the benefits of barefoot training, but who wants to walk into a gym without any shoes on your feet? First of all, it's gross, and second of all, it's disgusting. Now, the other benefits of Zero Shoes is not only are they functional, but they're also fashionable. So, you've seen many a time people walk in the gym with these minimalist shoes and they look like a freak. Not with zero shoes. You're going to blend right in. Also, they have a wide toe box so that your toes are not all scrunched together in the front like they normally are with any standard training sneaker or cleat. Now, to get your shoes, go to zeroshoes.com slash go slash MahoneyAT. Again, that's zeroshoes.com slash go slash MahoneyAT. And that zero is spelt with an X. It is X-E-R-O. Again, I'll say it again. It's X-E-R-O. Get your zero shoes today.